Welcome back to the PropTech Ramble. I'm Michael Grant. Hi everyone, I am Charlotte. Hey, yes, I'm Sam. <laughs> um, plug away. PropTech for us as, as Metricus uh, is, again, it's not just new, it is legacy as well. Yeah, I think I've got to say it's about the people, so like making things easier for the people in the building and also people who run the building. And if it doesn't do that, then point. <laughs> <laughs> and I think a lot of what PropTech does is try and make get those old buildings and turn it into something that's a bit new. That's what it's all about really, apart from me rambling on like I'm doing now. So uh, that's why it's called PropTech. Right? <laughs> <laughs> that's very true. Very true. <laughs> Hello everyone and welcome back to the PropTech Ramble. I'm Charlotte and I'm taking over from Michael today. Um, we're back and we're better than ever. I've got Alana from Urbane Solutions uh, on to talk about sustainability and Local Law 97. So Alana, do you want to um, introduce yourself? Sure, I'd love to. Thanks for having me, Charlotte. Really excited to be here and talk about um, Local Law 97. So uh, I'm the founder of Urbane Solutions, um, and uh, my background is at the intersection of real estate, innovation, and the law. Urbane is a real estate consulting firm that helps clients navigate the social, cultural, and environmental impacts of uh, trends that are impacting their business. Uh, my personal background is um, in real estate law and real estate startup operations. Um, and at Urbane, we build teams of diverse interdisciplinary professionals, including architects, engineers, designers, marketing professionals, uh, to bring a well-rounded approach to some of these big questions facing the future of the built environment. Yeah, sounds like a very useful company. So <laughs> um, we're going to start with a kind of quick fire rounds, some few questions that we'll just go back and forth uh, just to just get, get comfortable and kick off. So first one, work from home or the office? Uh, definitely the office, uh, so long as uh, my schedule is flexible. <laughs> Co-working or your own office? Uh, Co-working. I love the energy of being around other people. Especially when they have free events as well. I love those. <laughs> um, really? sleeping, sleeping pods at work? Yes or no? No. Go home. Take a nap in your bed. Um, no need to sit around the office when we're exhausted anymore. We can take our work home with us. Yeah, that's the benefit of COVID, isn't it? Like hybrid working and we know we know when to stop. So, um, favorite, favorite office that you've worked in? Definitely the 49th floor of One Bryant Park. That's the Bank of America Tower here in Midtown on 42nd Street and 6th Avenue. It's the first lead platinum skyscraper um, in the world. And with that comes not only incredible views, but amazing air quality. And it's just incredible to be able to work in that kind of environment. That sounds amazing. I've never, obviously, never worked in that building, uh, unfortunately, but I have been to Brighton Park, and I think it's such an underrated part of New York. I really love it. Yeah, it's a it's a wonderful park and a great happening neighborhood. Yeah. Um, sitting down at a desk or standing up? I prefer sitting down for deep work. Face to face meetings or virtual? Face to face. I mean, <laughs> I wish we were sitting together in London today. Um, and not on opposite ends of the screen here, but uh, maybe maybe another time. I was going to say maybe soon. <laughs> Hopefully I'll be in New York, though. <laughs> Wonderful. Yeah. Uh, when you're not working, how do you spend your time? Um, I love to get out and be in nature. So um, 
One thing that surprised me about living in the concrete jungle is how much access we have to beaches, lakes, and mountains in the tri-state area across New Jersey, Connecticut, um, the Hudson Valley. It's just an inc- we have incredible access to nature. So that's where you'll find me hiking, swimming, biking. Very good. Yeah. And uh, knowing what you know now, what would what advice would you give your younger self? It's totally cliche, uh, but worry less about what other people think. Um, and do more of what's authentic to you. Yeah, nice one. Yeah, I don't think it's possible to not be cliche with that kind of question. So, (laughs) Um, and what was your first job? Summer camp counselor. A lot of people. Yeah, Camp America. (laughs) Yeah, no. (laughs) Yeah, no. Um, And when and where are you most productive? Definitely in the mornings at the office. I'm the exact same as that. (laughs) Um, Cool. Okay. So moving on to kind of like um, what we are here to talk about, Local on 97, um, and starting with kind of climate change, what is your general outlook on climate change? Yeah. um, So I guess um, climate change is both concerning, but I'm also really hopeful and excited that we've kicked off the energy transition that we've kicked off commitments to improving our efficiency um, at the na- at the national level, at the corporate level, and hopefully soon at the individual level. Um, of course, 2020 was a really difficult year for climate-related disasters. It was one of the worst years on record with $95 billion in damages. Um, New York is no stranger to uh, to climate-related disasters. We had Superstorm Sandy not too long ago that caused $20 billion in damages, was really hit the building industry very hard. Um, And so it's hard to see news reports of wildfires and hurricanes and heat waves and not be extremely alarmed at the state of our planet. Um, At the same time, I believe that we can't let that alarm paralyze us from taking action. I think we need to take an approach um, of agency and one that allows us to go ahead and make the changes that are necessary to stem the effects of climate change or at least to slow them. Um, And so I'm excited about the opportunity to spur innovation and, uh, and, and progress in all sectors of the economy, but especially the building industry. Yeah, well, I mean, with buildings sort of making up 67% of the kind of carbon emissions in New York, it's, it's hugely important that we do something and we, we do something quickly. Um, so I think that, yeah, that brings us nicely on to kind of Local Law 97. I think it'd be great to get um, a kind of overview from you on what Local Law 97 actually is and what it means for building owners as well. Yeah, um, and you mentioned that look that in New York, the buildings industry represents about sixty-seven percent of total emissions. Um, that's much higher than the rest of the world, or the global average is about forty percent. So it makes a lot of sense that when New York targeted um, a net zero carbon emissions by twenty fifty, um, that that the building industry was first on the agenda. Uh, for how we were going to meet those targets. Um, And Local Law 97 is the most talked about and potentially most celebrated uh, piece of the Climate Mobilization Act. And I think that um, just to set the stage, the Climate Mobilization Act has 
a number of provisions um, in addition to Local Law 97 uh, that are really interesting and, and important to understand in the context. So one, for example, is a green roofs mandate. Um, new buildings and buildings undergoing major roof renovations are now required to install solar panels or green roofs. Um, another one is the uh, is Local Law 96, the sustainability, the New York Sustainable Energy Loan Program, which establishes um, which establishes financing mechanisms for building owners to fund energy efficiency improvements and reduce their upfront costs and streamline the process of repaying the loans through an assessment on their tax bills. So there, the, the city has also thought about how these improvements are going to be financed, um, and that's in process. And the one that's kind of most visible, um, and I think the first step to implementing Local Law 97, is actually Local Law 95, which went into effect in 2020. And anybody uh, who's in New York right now or who's been in New York in the past year has seen the building energy efficiency grades that were mandated under the Clo Climate Mobilization Act, which essentially required every building to run their emissions through a calculator um, that gave them a score. Um, you will walk around New York and see many buildings with scores of one, two, three, four on a hundred and failing grades of D. Um, and is somebody, that, um, like presented on like the door, the windows as you go in, like how do they show that? It's on the front door at the building entrance of every building. So if you're paying attention um, and it's hard not to see it because it is prominently displayed everywhere, mm -hmm. um, there is quite a bit of cause for concern. And also, frankly, I've been surprised um, at some of the older, more concrete buildings being actually much more energy efficient than the fancy glass towers um, that we've put up in the last 10 and 15 years. Well, that's interesting. Do you think that's because they um, kind of like the stone is better at sort of ventilating and cooling and keep like keeping the heat out versus glass, which obviously retains heat better or takes in sunlight? Yeah, I think they're better insulated. Um, and that's sort of one of the approaches um, that, you know, they have they have more uh, concrete or, or brick on their facades and, and that better insulates the building and leads to less loss um, and therefore greater energy efficiency. Um, and of course, all of this um, leads into Local Law 97 which is the cornerstone of the Climate Mobilization Act. And like I said, the one that's received the most attention. Um, and Local Law 97 sets a cap on building emissions on all buildings in New York above 25,000 square feet. So there are a few exceptions to that, houses of worship, buildings with 35% uh, or more affordable housing, but by and large uh, buildings that are considered medium and large um, are covered by this law. It covers about 60, I believe it covers about 60% of the floor area in New York um, and a total of 50,000 buildings. So it's it's quite far reaching, but it's not reaching a lot of small buildings at this time. Um, and the way Local Law 97 is going to work is that as of 2024, each building is going to be assigned a cap on the level of greenhouse gas emissions that they're permitted to emit. Um, and uh, that cap is gonna be set by building occupancy, sorry, building use, 
not occupancy, but building use, um, and um, and square footage. Uh, so there are different categories. Obviously, hospitals are more energy efficient, uh, energy intensive uses than offices, for example. So um, there are different allotments for different building types. Um, and the first compliance period runs from 2024 to 2029. And according to estimates, that's going to cover about 20, sorry, 20% 20 of the, of the 50,000 buildings that are covered by the law um, will be exceeding their emissions. So put another way, 80% of buildings are actually going to meet the 2024 to 2029 targets. Um, and they are set to capture the highest emitting 20%. Um, the second compliance period begins in 2030, and that's going to cover 80% of those buildings. So 2030 is coming very soon. Um, and at that point, the emissions targets are going to become more strict um, and increase annually between 2030 and 2050, uh, becoming increasingly uh, decreasing over time. So having, you know, per permitting fewer emissions over time as we need to do to reach 2050 targets. Um, and so we have building owners who are covered by the law are going to have to report as of May 1st, 2025 uh, for, the, for the previous year, their building emissions. And uh, the fine is $268 per uh, ton above the limit that a building emits in the year. And so um, for those buildings that are above the cap, uh, they, they are looking at potential six and seven figure fines. And those fines are annually recurring. And so uh, there is an incentive to, to have a really tight understanding of overall emissions and also how day-to-day -day operations are affecting those emissions. Yeah. Um, it's uh, a yeah. main feat, like trying to record all that information. We we recently committed to the Net Zero Act at Medicus as well. And I've been, I've been spending a lot of time going through all the different scopes of emissions there are and which ones you need to record and capture. And it's, it's certainly not easy. No, it's very complicated, and um, and we'll talk about this a little bit later. But implementation is obviously um, having the law and the legislature pass this amazing groundbreaking legislation is exciting, um, but how it gets implemented is hugely complex and involves a lot of stakeholders, um, and that's definitely still being figured out. Um, I guess then, so how, how has the sort of implementation of Local Law 97 impacted the way that you live um, and work as well? Yeah, um, well, it hasn't uh, really entered my day-to-day -day just yet, but ultimately climate change is going to impact how we all live and work, um, and I'm really excited to be living in a city that's taking charge of this and that's uh, creating an impetus to to start um, accounting for our building emissions. Um, and I think that the, you know, the most, uh, the most, the thing that has been most front and center, at least for me personally, has been building energy efficiency grades. So being able to walk around the city and really see um, how buildings are ranking relative to one another, how they're performing relative to one another. Um, and I live in a condo building, 
and the condo board sent out a message to all the owners when the uh, when the grade went up saying, you know, we, we see this, we understand that there's a compliance period coming up in 2024, and we have engaged the proper consultants to come in and start advising us on how we improve our efficiency um, so that we're not, so that if possible, the condo owners are not left paying fines. So I think that's been really interesting to me, the condo and co-op impacts of this. Um, I think we tend to think of local law 97 affecting commercial property owners um, because of its size and, and owners of large multifamily um, rentals, but it's affecting condo and co-op as well. Um, they are covered by the law. And so individuals uh, have definitely been put on notice by the building energy grades that, you know, that that they need to take a look at their building's emissions. That's really interesting, I didn't know that. Um, and I think in terms of awareness, just as you say, like it's really hard not to notice that each building's been graded. Um, and it kind of brings home like how much carbon emissions that buildings do, do actually create. Like I think that 67% stat will shock quite a lot of people. Um, because usually, I mean, you think of cars or airplanes or those sorts of things when you think of carbon emissions, but um, buildings have a massive, massive part to play as well. So, yeah, it's energy usage, of course, and also the direct burning of fossil fuels uh, for heating and cooling, um, and and that's a, a major issue that's being addressed by technology and retrofits. Mm. So, how has the industry sort of received this new implementation of the law? Then, has there been any sort of um, pushback on it or kind of criticisms of of the law? Yeah, so I think that um, as New Yorkers, we're really proud of the climate legislation that we have, and we're very excited um, to be leading the charge. Uh, at the same time, as I mentioned earlier, I think there are some concerns about implementation. So we've seen the industry take steps towards sustainability. I mentioned Bank of America Tower was the first LEED Platinum uh, building. Um, that has been, um, that will, it's it's the first lead platinum certified building. We've had Tishman Spire last week made a commitment to net zero emissions from their operations in 2050. JLL Brookfield have made similar commitments. Um, and I think this is being pushed by not only the, um, not only the companies themselves and their own investors, but also their customers, which are big corporate tenants who also have net zero commitments. Um, and so I think the industry has been making investments in sustainability and in energy efficiency improvements. Um, and what Local Law 97 does is puts strict penalties for failing to meet, you know, imposes strict penalties for failing to meet these targets. Um, and so it's spurring the industry into action um, faster than they, they may have on their own. Um, that being said, one of the major criticisms of the way the law has been implemented is that it doesn't account for building density. It's a, it's, it's a well-known um, fact of sustainable urban planning that density is usually beneficial for the environment. Um, and yet, building owners who have densified their buildings 
are um, going to be penalized because they they more people means more energy use. Um, and so that's one issue that the law hasn't addressed. Um, and that's in part because it looks at emissions, absolute emissions, as opposed to how efficient the building is being given its density. Um, and so it's a emissions are obviously the target. Reducing emissions is what we need to do globally in order to address climate change. Um, but but it's the way the law is crafted, it lacks nuance around density. So that's one big issue. Um, the other issue is uh, is a lack of opportunities to invest in renewable energy and carbon carbon offsets when building compliance is infeasible. So uh, one of the issues with the law is that fines are being imposed on building owners who exceed the cap, but the funds that are being collected uh, are going into New York's general fund. So they're not being invested back into building renewable energy sources for New York or uh, a proposal I saw and I really liked was funding um, energy efficiency improvements in affordable housing, um, you know, or other ways to make the city more efficient that, you know, um, and so that's that's been a criticism. Overall, I think building owners and environmental groups agree that, um, that we need to invest in a cleaner energy future. And so I think the real estate industry would like to see any fines and penalties assessed go to those investments. Definitely. And if you like personally could change uh, any one thing about the law, what, what would you change? Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I think it's it's some of what I've just mentioned. I, I think the one thing that would be really beneficial is to have building owners have more compliance choices. Um, of course, energy efficiency and reduced emissions is the goal. Um, and nobody is arguing with that. Um, I think all stakeholders are now aligned that we must take action uh, against climate change immediately and imminently. But I think that we should make sure that we are taking a multifaceted strategy or approach. Um, and and that includes trying to get renewable sources of energy uh, onto the grid in New York. Um, and specifically in New York City, which is just not the case today. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and on something I'm kind of more comfortable with, uh, PropTech. So as a sort of founder of a real estate consultancy firm, um, how do you kind of take into consideration PropTech as a kind of advisory? Um, yeah, like in your advising of, of other kind of customers, what, how do you use PropTech? Yeah, so at Urbane, we build solutions around expertise and technology. Um, we source the we source interdisciplinary professionals and, um, and 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 technology solutions to address the the issues that our clients are facing. Um, and we view climate change as a social, cultural, and environmental issue. It's both about making change in a positive direction and 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 moving the uh, transition to a cleaner energy future forward, um, while at the same time finding ways to communicate and engage all stakeholders 
be it investors, um, occupiers, owners in the process of of um, of moving towards a cleaner energy future. So when it comes to compliance with local law 97, I think we're looking at two major objectives for buildings. One is to reduce energy usage. So looking for operational efficiencies, um, all of the low hanging fruit, making sure your uh, building systems uh, are, are well maintained and running optimally, replacing you know incandescent light bulbs with LEDs all of the all of the low-hanging fruit is are sort of the operational changes um, that that can contribute to building energy efficiency um, and then the more expensive and complex um, transitioning away from fossil fuel combustion for heating and cooling which we mentioned earlier um, and moving towards uh, electrification um, so so those are the two big buckets. Um, and ultimately there's a lot of time to plan. Buildings have, you know, 80% of buildings have until 2030 to come under the cap. And so with that in mind, I think that you have to start with awareness and education. So thank you for having me today and allowing me to talk about this. I think fewer owners than are, uh, than, than should, be worrying about this or worrying about this. So I hope that we're going to be talking about it a lot more over the next few years. Um, and yeah, after awareness and education is measurement. So you need the data from building operations. You need to understand your operating systems, your occupancy, how that correlates with weather and time. Um, and having a really tight grasp on the data allows owners to optimize their building operations, to save on electricity, save money, while also maximizing tenant comfort. Um, and so, of course, PropTech, I think PropTech is actually most in, um, advanced when it comes to monitoring and measurement. And there are lots of really strong um, players in this industry, including Metricus, of course. Um, that allow owners to understand their building usage and occupancy patterns, which is sort of step one to looking for that low hanging fruit, those operational changes that could be made to increase efficiency. Um, and uh, as the famous management guru, Peter Drucker has said, you can't manage what you can't measure. So I think that's really where we start is, let's take a look at it, let's measure what's going on. Um, and then in the words of a, of a, of a, uh, of a climate activist friend um, and founder of a company called Carbon Calories, what gets measured gets mitigated. Um, so once we can see it the way we see it on the grades on the door, that spurs us to action. That says, okay, we understand that we are actually losing energy, losing money um, in the way that we're operating. Can we fix that? So I think that that's really step one, awareness, measurement, um, and then some of the bigger capital improvements over time, of course. It's a whole new meaning to data as the new oil, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> um, um, and the bit, the bit you mentioned on density a bit earlier, do you think that the fact that it is not difficult, but possibly could be seen as expensive to start monitoring occupancy across all of these buildings, is that the reason that maybe density was left out of the law? Have you got any sort of thoughts on, on why that was? 
Um, I think sometimes legislation is a blunt instrument um, and uh, this, you know, it, it's a result of many negotiations. I think that uh, many parties tried to have density accounted for. Um, I'm not familiar with the entire legislative history, but density just happened to lose out um, as one of the factors to consider. It's the, the categories of building usage are uh, based on building codes, I believe. And so again, blunt instrument, an office that it has a law firm in it versus a trading desk has very different energy needs. Yeah, definitely. And um, in the law itself or in other kind of legislation around it, is there anything that takes into consideration sort of like building wellness and for the people, the occupants inside the building, how, how I guess, um, productive the space is for them versus the energy usage? Because um, there's quite a lot of uh, controversy around like making buildings like um, kind of healthier means making them less sustainable. And we always try and argue that that isn't always the case. So I'd be interested to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah, I don't have the statistics on this, but obviously running air purification systems and HVACs um, for cleaner air uh, is energy intensive. intensive. Um, this That is not addressed in the law. The law was enacted in pre-COVID times. Um, and this is one of the industry requests is, you know, we need to take into account COVID in our timeline of um in our timeline of compliance, maybe 2024 is too soon as we try to account for the delays, both in implementation and guidance from the Department of Buildings, for example, um, but also in the way buildings have operated, uh, you know, to account for sort of the post-COVID world. I frankly don't see that happening. Uh, climate change is coming at us, uh, whether we, whether, you know, whether, whether independent of the pandemic. Um, and so we have to deal with that as well. And so I think that I, 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 I'm, I'd be surprised if we see the timeline pushed back, but you did mention air quality. And I think that um, there is an interesting facet of local law 97, which, uh, which is a reason for really it's sort of it's forcing emissions reductions over offsets or renewable energy credits or other alternative compliance methods is a concern that buildings in uh, poorer areas are going to continue to emit um, harmful greenhouse gases into the surrounding areas and that that's an air quality issue for the neighborhood. So I think local law 97 does um, has a really great impact on exterior air quality, if not accounting for new interior air quality standards. Mm, yeah, and I mean, they influence each other, so they're both both um, equally as important. Good point. <laughs> great, well, yeah, I've, I mean, I feel like I've learned loads. I hope everyone else has. Um, and yeah, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you, Alana. Um, and if anyone, you know, still got questions, feel free to reach out um, or ask them now. And you can also head over to the Metricus website where we have um, written up a blog that we did with Alana um, on everything that you need to know about Local Law 97. Um, next week, we've got Sam and Michael talking about the new release of Helix, which um, is very exciting and may or may not touch on indoor air quality. So I guess you'll just have to wait <laughs> until then. But thank you very much, everyone. And thank you, Alana. Thanks, Charlotte. This was amazing. And uh, feel free to reach out to me if you have any questions. I'd be happy to talk some more. <laughs> Great. Thank you so much. Bye. Thanks.